0: So we are working our way through the book of Exodus, which means exit, which means to depart. And there was a movie made back in 1960 called The Exodus. A very uh, well produced and written and directed movie about the Jews' return to the Holy Land in 1947 and would go on to be recognised by most of the world in 1948. Britain, to her shame, would abstain whereas America and Russia would vote for it. Just a couple of thoughts to add, in addition to what we looked at last Sunday when we concluded, chapter one, one, one chapter 1, verse 1, speaks about the household. And the household, meaning uh, one's identity, will feed into the 12 tribes of Israel. From the book of Hebrews, it speaks about being of the house of Moses. And the writer of Hebrews, quite likely the Apostle Paul, speaks about being... Of the household of Christ. So for the perspective of the Jew, or as far as the Jew is concerned, either he or she is in the household of Moses or the household of Jesus. From the standpoints of the Gentiles, either you are in the household of Adam or the household of Christ. If you are in Adam, you're not saved. If you are in Moses, you're not saved. You've got to get into the household of Christ. From chapter 1, verse 19, the text makes it very clear that the Jewish mothers, the Jewish women, were very quick and uh, successful in giving birth to their children. And they gave birth almost painless. And they moved so quickly that by the time the Egyptian midwives arrived, it was all over. There was no need for such people to arrive to help them out. Which I guess would be a picture of separation for today. Meaning if you are saved, you don't need to be leaning on unsaved people. Not all of the time anyway. So chapter 1 is very feminine. And I'll speak about that this morning. Chapter 2 is also very feminine. Chapter 2 verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi. And took to a wife a daughter of Levi. Levi or Levi, it can be pronounced either way. And if there's one thing that you will never find in scripture, it will be a same-sex marriage. You will find fornication, you will find adultery, you will find murder, you will even find bestiality. But you won't find same-sex marriage. And there went out a man of the house of Levi, Levi, going back to chapter 1 verse 1, which house are you a part of? You've got 12 tribes from chapter 1 verse 1. And took to wife a daughter of Levi or Levi. So a Levite was a priest. And right away we see that this man, who's also mentioned from uh, chapter 6, verse 20, is the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Goodly child. Old English for a handsome child. Old English for a large child. This child could have been around eight pounds in weight. I'm not sure when people started to weigh their children. I know when King James was born, he was also referred to as a goodly child. And here Moses will parallel King James in ways that you couldn't possibly have imagined. He will also parallel the Lord Jesus Christ in ways that... You couldn't possibly imagine. The latter part of verse 2 speaks about hiding him three months. So if you think of Matthew chapter 2, it speaks about Joseph and Mary taking Jesus into Egypt. And they were there for, can I suggest, three months, like we're reading about here from two two, And it speaks about Almighty God calling his son out of Egypt. And from Egypt they go back into Israel. And of course Herod in the New Testament is a Type of the Antichrist. Pharaoh in the Old Testament is a type of the Antichrist. One again, and there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And When she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Going back to the latter parts of chapter 1. If you have a man-child, take him and throw him into the river. Verse 22. And I spoke about rivers last week and the sea last week. And you think of old Leviathan, very busy, swimming around in the sea. If you think of the Bermuda Triangle or if you think of the River Ganges. If you go to India and if you observe the River, G- uh, the River Ganges, it's filthy. And you won't find any Islamic, Sikh or Hindu politician that would dare criticize such a place. Because if they did such a thing, there'd be riots on the streets. They believe that the sea is holy. And here Pharaoh is affiliated to the sea. Pharaoh would consider the sea to be sacred. And that's why he wanted the boys to be drowned in the sea, like birth control. But here Moses has been born, and his mother knows he's a goodly child. He's born for great things, like King James, like the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet his start in life is going to be very rocky the devil will do what he can to destroy those that are going to come, uh, come down the line. I think it's fair to say that if you think of the book of Daniel, it speaks about the devil having lieutenants like the prince of Persia and others like that. And they have an insight into what goes on and they're very aware as to what goes on. The devil isn't omnipresent, I should say, but he's pretty near and he knows what's going on and he would have been watching... Moses being born to his parents and perhaps he saw Aaron who's older than Moses come out first and perhaps he thought Aaron would be the deliverer and of course that wasn't the case Miriam would also be born in fact Moses is the youngest out of the three children and the devil knows something is on the boil he knows something is about to take place he's watching very carefully and he he failed from chapter one to have Moses destroyed through a miscarriage, or through murder. So what he would try and do is attack the parents of Moses. He would do the same to the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would put a nasty rumour around that Jesus was born illegitimately. And that's found over in John chapter 8. He would cause Joseph to go through absolute despair. Matthew chapter 1, concerning what to do about his pregnant, soon-to-be wife. And had the Lord not spoken to Joseph... Matthew chapter 1, Joseph would have been compelled to put Mary to death. And yet, as I continue to study the Torah and read it very carefully, and I read the first 27 chapters of Exodus last night, I see that it's not as clear as you initially think concerning sexual sins. And I will discuss that, don't worry, down the coming weeks. Look at verse 3, please. And when she could no longer hide him, She took for him an ark of bulrushes and dubbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. River's brink, the river's bank, the bank to the river. And the word ark, you can't miss it from verse 3. Noah would build an ark from Genesis chapter 6, 7 and 8. And his family would board the ark like eight souls. And they go through that catastrophe and the Lord preserves them. And he brings them out at the end of that catastrophe, which will picture tribulation saints, those that get saved during the tribulation, are preserved and survive the tribulation. And Matthew 24 speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ dispatching his angels from the four corners of the earth, like north, east, south, west, and they gather those that have survived the Antichrist's uh, tyrannical reign, like Pharaoh, like Herod. And they go up to meet the king in Jerusalem, Matthew 25. Jesus Christ is spoken of as being the captain of our salvation. And here, the mother of Moses, and she's named from uh, uh, chapter 620 to be Jochebed or Jochebed. Again, you can pronounce these words in different ways. In fact, it says from 620 how Aram, that will be the father of Moses, took Jochebed, or Jokabed, his father's sister the wife and she bare him aaron and moses and the years of the life of amram were hundred and thirty and seven years so you've got the genealogy concerning the parents of moses and of course there's no mention of miriam because this is a jewish book written by jewish men and over in first corinthians chapter 11 it speaks about the man being head of the woman as god is head over christ there's a pecking order and the woman is over the children. But it's fascinating when I think of the word of God. When I think of the genealogies from the word of God. and When I think of the mother of Moses having to protect her child. Which is completely normal. Parents, especially mothers, are very protective over their children. She will put him into a particular uh, ark, if you will. Picturing Noah's ark. And she will uh, dub it with slime and with pitch, verse 3. And she puts a child therein, safe and sound. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. So she had great faith in the Lord. She knew that it was quite possible that Moses could drown. We don't know how much she knew about the birth of her child. We know that Mary was growing on the job, if you will. She was developing as she went along. We believe that Mary was no more than 15 years old when she gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. When James married his uh, wife, Anne of Denmark, she was 14, no more than 15. Back in the day, it was very common for women to marry young and have a lot of children and also die very young. The average lifespan for men in the UK 100 years ago was 52. Cromwell died just under 60 years of age King James I would die just under 60 years of old. It could be true, uh, and it's been said also of Solomon, that he would die very young as well. Look at verse 4, please. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. His sister Miriam is watching over her younger brother. It's also interesting that Aaron isn't mentioned. He's at least three, four years older than Moses and like i say it was possible that great things would be done via aaron but the lord said no i don't want aaron i want moses and i will wait and wait and wait feeding back to abraham over 90 years of age when the lord said hey i got a job for you and here his sister sort of far off she stands afar off she's watching from a distance to wait to see what will be done to him she knows her brother is potentially in danger She also has some trust in Jehovah and she's watching from a distance. Look at verse uh, five, please. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. What's that over there? What's that ark I can see over there? And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. By the way he was dressed, of course. If you think of the account from the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, she recognises that he was a Jewish gentleman by his apparel, of course. And it speaks about the babe weeping, and as a result she has compassion on him. So a bond has developed. Now this could have gone one of two ways. She could have come across this child... She could have been a racist, and she could have said, that's a disgusting Hebrew child, push it down the river's bank. But of course, that's not what happened. Almighty God stepped in, opened her heart, like He would do with Lydia, uh, Acts 16, 17. And as a result, she has clicked with Moses. This is one of the Hebrew's children, not yet referred to as Jews. And just for the record... Jews don't have to necessarily be just in the line of Judah to be Jewish. If you think of uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul says to Peter that both were Jews. And as far as I know, Paul wasn't of the tribe of Judah, and yet he was a Jew. Peter wasn't of the tribe of Judah, and yet was also referred to as being a Jew. There are 12 tribes, not just one tribe. And I say that because a lot of people that are anti-Semitic will attack... Israel today and the Jews today and say that uh, unless you are a Judean Jew you're not really a Jew and they uh, dismiss the other 11 tribes which of course we don't know where they are today and I've already spoken about this but the Lord knows where they are. So the first six verses you get a very emotive account of a child that wasn't necessarily abandoned by its mother but An account concerning the welfare of a child. You see, as far as I'm concerned, Moses' mother had really one of two options. She could have kept him and hoped and prayed for the best concerning the welfare of her child. Or she could do what she would do. And during World War II, many Jewish women gave their children to non-Jews. Those that were stuck in Poland or uh, Holland or other parts of uh, Europe to take care of their children. Look at verse 7, please. Then said his sister, the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee, like a nanny, like an au pair? And like I say, this is very feminine, very maternal, if you will. Some years ago, the former Archbishop of Canterbury's wife was interviewed on the BBC, and she is a theologian, like her husband, and she was asked, who is her favourite woman in the scripture? And this very intelligent woman, a BA, a PhD, a THD, very, very well educated, had to think and think and think. And in the end, she said, well, I don't really know. I guess I would suggest it would be Paul. Paul? Paul is a guy. And this woman, married to the Archbishop of Canterbury, and I seem to recall her father was also cut from the cloth, as they say. Had to really struggle when it came to which. Woman would be her favourite, but why not think about someone like Pharaoh's daughter? I mean, if you are a feminist, if you are a woman, why not say, how about Moses' mother? Why would you bypass these Old Testament women? I mean, this woman, Pharaoh's daughter, according to Josephus, was childless, and according to Josephus, her brother was also childless, which, if that is the case, will clash with uh, Cecil, Didemils. Ten Commandments movie because in DeMille's Ten Commandments movie which came out in the 1950s he has Yor Brenner playing pharaoh and in that movie from 1954 1955 which made millions in fact that was the biggest film ever made up until that date he has your Brenner with a son a firstborn son and the firstborn son of course is destroyed by the lord and yet according to Josephus an unsaved Jewish historian who lived after Jesus, he said, no, Pharaoh, and it could be Rameses II, was childless. And his sister was also childless, which would suggest that Moses was earmarked to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. How about that? Which would picture Christ at the second advent, Lord of the Gentiles, Lord of the Jews. In fact, I'm going to suggest this, that this chapter, chapter two, is very similar to Joseph's upbringing and I'll explain that in a few more minutes and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her take this child away and nurse it for me and I'll give thee thy wages and the woman took the child and nursed it so you think of a woman who has a child today and the mother wants to go out one evening wants to enjoy a meal and they have to find a babysitter and the babysitter is found and they say, I'll be out for three hours. I'll give you £10 to look after my child. Also, of course, this is very fortuitous because what happened in reality would be that Miriam was able to take Moses back to their mother, the mother of Moses, Miriam and Aaron. And of course, Moses' mother, uh, Jochebed or Jokabed, would be able to breastfeed Moses. And on top of that, be paid to do so. And this also goes back to Romans eight twenty eight, that all things work together for good to those that are the called, to those that are a part of the will of God, those that are in the will of the Lord, slight paraphrase, but Romans eight twenty eight speaks about the purpose of God, the sovereign purpose of God working supernaturally in the background, like Joseph from the book of Genesis. Verse 10, And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, And he became a son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water, like a Moses basket, which is still sold today. You have millions of women all over the world that conceive, fall pregnant, and they start looking around for a Moses basket. But what really fascinates me, concerning these first 10 verses, is number one, a boy has been born. Number two, he's not named And number three, an adoption has taken place. Now, Moses is a Jew, and here his mother is a Gentile, which you could suggest, spiritually speaking, is a picture of the church. Jesus Christ is a Jew, and the church, in a roundabout way, has adopted him as our Saviour, as our Messiah. But it goes much more deeper than that. 11. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. So in reality, as I understand it, he's had two mothers, which is problematic. He's had his own biological mother raising him for an unspecified period, uh, period of time. Obviously weaning him, breastfeeding him, getting him strong enough to be handed over to the daughter of Pharaoh. He's now going to be schooled in the best schools in Egypt. It speaks about him being very uh, well-received, a very bright boy, a very academic student, like King James the first of England. And here it speaks about how he's grown. And I would suggest he's around the same age as Joseph, late teens, early 20s. In fact, there'll be three parts to the life of Moses. The first part, which we are reading about this morning, He's probably around 20-ish. The next part, when he comes into contact with Pharaoh, he's around 80. And the last part, he's around 130 or thereabouts. No more than 140. And those three stages are the main points in the life of Moses. came to pass, verse 11, in those days when Moses was grown. So let's say 18. Let's suggest he's older than 12 that he went out unto his brethren. He's watching his brethren being put through the mill, uh, working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, building treasure cities from the previous chapter, and looked on their burdens. He's a very privileged boy around this time. And he spied an Egyptian smiting, attacking, punching an Hebrew, one of his brethren, so now Moses is torn. What does he do? He's been raised in the best schools. I would imagine he was pretty close to his adopted mother. We don't know what relationship he had with Miriam or Aaron around this time or his parents. We're not told that. I would suggest this, that he was conflicted. He he is a dual nationality child, no more than 18. He feels grieved internally. He knows that something is wrong. He's watched his brothers and sisters being destroyed, being worked to death, and something snaps inside of him. Twelve. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now this was either manslaughter or this was murder. And you can take this one of two ways. You can suggest this, that Moses was grieved with a righteous anger. But if the truth be known, he overreacted. He could have stepped in. He could have just removed the aggressor, being the Egyptian, from the scene. But he overreacts. And he ends up slowing, killing the Egyptian. And on top of that, he would hide him in the sand... So when you think of the greats in scripture, if you think of Moses, and here we are reading about him this morning, a very snowy morning, we are reading about a man who has been born to do great things, and he's just murdered a man. You may say that's slightly unfair, James. Would you reassess it? Would you perhaps revise that statement? And would you suggest he was guilty of manslaughter? No, I'm going to stay... With my my original uh, suggestion that this was murder. He overreacted. He killed a man. And on top of that he would hide him in the sand. He had no intention of confessing his crime. And if you think of Peter from the New Testament. When they come to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter gets a sword. Starts waving it around. Well intended. Like Moses was initially from Exodus chapter 2. And Peter gets his sword and he's going to take off the man's head, who was Malchus from memory. And the Lord steps in and stops the sword, decapitating the head. And the sword goes down, slices off the ear, and just like that, the Lord Jesus Christ puts the ear back on the head. Why? Well, two things first of all. Had the Lord not intervened, Peter would have been a murderer, would have been put to death for that. That's very clearly found from the book of Genesis. If you shed men's blood, you uh, have your own blood shed. And that would have been the end of the ministry of the Apostle Peter. And the Lord says, no, I don't want my apostles or one of my apostles to be a murderer. I will intervene and stop that. But he wouldn't do that for Moses. He wants, can I suggest, to toughen Moses up. He wants Moses to get blood in his hands. Now this also feeds back into the directive will of the Lord and the permissive will of the Lord. Something which Calvinists have never really got straight. Almighty God has two wills in scripture. He has a directive will and a permissive will. He would allow things to take place in the Old Testament that he didn't approve of. Like Genesis chapter 6, wickedness everywhere. Or Genesis chapter 19, like sex perversion in Sodom and Gomorrah, or the practice of polygamy concerning Abraham, concerning David, concerning Josiah. He would permit those things to take place. He wasn't in favour of such things taking place, but he would allow such things to take place. Contrast that to his directive, will of God. Like he would direct something to take place concerning the birth, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you couldn't reverse that. Or if you die outside of Jesus Christ. You can't be redeemed later. God has decreed it. That his son would come, die and be resurrected. And he says this. That if you believe in that he will save you. And if you don't believe in that you are damned. That's his directive will. His directive will is that all men everywhere repent. And believe on the son of God. His directive will is that he takes no pleasure. In the death of the wicked. His directive will is that he... Is not when that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Contrast that to his permissive will. He would permit Moses, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, to be guilty of murder. I want to be fair and allow at least the possibility that Moses, okay, can I suggest, was guilty of manslaughter. But in the text, especially from verse 14, it would suggest That this was more in reference to murder. But I like verse 12, very typical of movies if you've ever watched any. It says how he looked this way and that way. He's now planning, he's taking his time. Anybody to the left of me? No. How about the right to me? No. Can I be spotted? No. He's now planning in his mind. Now, this wasn't premeditated. I mean, up until verse 11, he's doing his own thing, he's late teens. He's a prince of Egypt, had the best schooling, like I say. And then on one occasion, his whole world would forever change. And he's weighing up the pros and cons. He doesn't like this Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his Jewish brothers down, kicking him to the ground, attacking him. And he starts to weigh up the pros and cons. Can I intervene? And if I do intervene, am I going to be spotted? This goes back to the complexity in the life of those that are going to do things for the Lord. Looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man. He slew, he killed the Egyptian. And hid him in the sand. He could have, like I say, just stepped in. He could have just removed the man from the situation. He could have just knocked him out cold. He could have put him on the ground, if you will. But he perhaps didn't know his own strength. And as a result, he's gone from being an innocent man to a murderer. Look at verse 13, please. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong. Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So now he is becoming of age. He's got a view. He's quite moral. And he knows that there's a lot of wrongs which need to put right. Verse 14. And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me? As thou killest the Egyptian. And Moses feared and said surely this thing is known. Well when it comes to who made Moses a prince and a judge over them. I would say God did. If you think of John chapter 1. 11, 12, 13 and 14. It speaks about Jesus Christ giving authority power to become the sons of God. Power to be transformed. Power to be saved. Power to live for him. And here it's very reminiscent to what the Jews would say to Jesus. We shan't have this man to reign over us. And here Moses is coming of age. And around this time nobody wants to receive him. Because nobody wants to be told what to do. Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? As thou murdered the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely... This thing is known. So somehow, what Moses has done has got out. Somehow, this has become main news. And now Moses is, uh, he's scared. He is fearful. First of all, he sees a fight breaking out. He decides to intervene. He goes overboard, I would suggest. And as a result, murders a man. And as a result, buries him in the sand. He had no intention. No intention of coming clean. And like I say, he's now, if you will, on the run. You reap what you sow. 15. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So news has been relayed back to Pharaoh concerning the murder of one of his soldiers, one of his lieutenants. And like everybody in the Old Testament and people today, he wants blood. He says to himself this, Moses is one of my princes, and he's broken the law. And as a result, he must be punished. But he's got a problem, because Moses has disappeared. And here, it speaks about Moses dwelling in the land of Midian. Now, the Midianites would be descendants of Abraham and Keturah, Genesis 25, and there's also a connection to the Moabites, going back to Lot and his two uh, daughters that were guilty of incest. But the latter part of verse 15, and he sat down by the well, is very reminiscent to Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Moses was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Moses has been forced out of his comfort zone, if you will. Egypt, of course, being a type of the world. Jesus Christ was temporarily told to go into Egypt with his parents. And then Hosea chapter 12 says, in fact, I think it's Hosea chapter 11 Out of Egypt have I called my son, which Matthew picks up on. And now Jesus, and here Moses, is going to have to go back into Egypt. And Jesus Christ will go back into Israel. Pharaoh heard this thing, sought to slay Moses, because because he's a murderer, of course. Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. doesn't hang around. He doesn't say to Pharaoh, what's the problem? He doesn't say to Pharaoh, well, you have your truth, I have mine. He doesn't say it's all subjective. He knows what he's done is wrong. That's why he's running. If you watch these criminals when they are arrested and put before the cameras, nearly every time they cover their faces. Have you noticed that? They cover their faces because they are ashamed. There's no sense of, what have I done wrong? There's no sense of, well, that's your opinion on things. I felt I acted in, you know, in uh, all goodness. I acted lawfully or my intentions were good. No, he runs. He runs for the hills, 16 in our clothes now the priest of midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock midian priest of midian seven daughters philip has seven daughters and here this priest of midian very reminiscent to melchizedek the priest of righteousness and when abraham meets melchizedek they greet one another Abraham gives him a gift, and here Moses has met his future father-in-law, the priest of Midian. We're not overly sure how to uh, properly profile this particular man, Jethro, also called Ruel, verse 18. He's got three names in the Old Testament. Was he a saved man? It's difficult to say. Later on, he would sacrifice with Moses and Aaron. He would, on a few occasions, give the appearance of believing in the one true God. And yet here, it could be that he worshipped a number of gods. But I won't be dogmatic on that. So you've got 16 verses from Exodus chapter 2. And this man, called Moses, has come of age. And there's going to be three parts to Moses' life from chapter 2 alone. A boy is born. A boy murders. A boy marries. Three parts to the life of of Moses from chapter 2 alone but if you profile his entire life three sections like I say up until this point he's around 20 something he's murdered a man he's on the run he's got no intention of coming clean he's got no intention of repenting he's got no intention of going back into Egypt and saying to Pharaoh I have done wrong put the cuffs on me never once will the Lord judge him for this either in fact later on I will show you from uh I think it's chapter 3 or 4 when Almighty God almost kills Moses why? Because he didn't circumcise one of his sons. See, in the mind of the Lord, it was more int- it was more important to him. It was more uh important for him to have the Abrahamic covenant enforced than it was to deal with the murder of a wicked Egyptian. That doesn't mean that the Lord just overlooks such actions concerning his people. I'm sure that uh, what Moses did would have stayed with him. Once you get blood in your hands, you can't get the blood off your hands. But the Lord uh, stepped in. He made sure that Peter wasn't uh, guilty of murder, whereas he wouldn't step in for Moses. So the devil, like I say, was unable to destroy Moses. Pre his birth, chapter one, the uh, forced birth control failed. So the devil, would try and destroy the parents of Moses. And also, I think I already said this, but I'll say it again if I didn't, that Moses was also, excuse me, the mother of Moses was also his aunt. You've got a very close relationship in the Old Testament. In fact, when Cain kills Abel, he goes out into his community and he finds a woman and he marries her. That's his sister. So for a thousand, two thousand years you've got brothers marrying sisters, cousins getting married, which wasn't illegal until the law was given. Chapter 20 from the Book of Exodus. If you think of people like Charles Darwin, he would marry his cousin Emma, and as a result, some of their children were sick. I might be wrong, but I seem to recall that uh, Karl Marx also married a very close member of his family, and as a result. His children were also born uh, slightly deformed, and I think some of his children even died of starvation. So the devil wants to destroy the parents of Moses, and he would do so, or he will attempt to do so through fear, through anxiety, like putting into the mind of Jokabed or Jokabed the idea of putting Moses into a Moses basket, hoping that Moses would drown. Which of course didn't happen? Almighty God, Romans 8:28 was behind the scenes protecting Moses. He will try again down the line to destroy the uh, parents of Moses. He would do the same with the parents of Jesus. Like I say, he put doubts into the minds of people concerning the birth of Jesus. They would say that Jesus was born illegitimately. Uh, also, Joseph would be uh, caused great—you know—he'd have great anguish, great pain, great stress and strain concerning what to do about his stepson, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also the devil, would attempt to destroy the parents of King James. King James was the only, bo- uh, the only child born to his parents. His mother was 23. His father was 19, very young. And his father, a guy called Henry Stuart, was a very immature man, and he wanted to co-rule with Mary, Queen of Scots. And she said, no, you're too young. You're 19 years of age. I've been Queen of Scotland since I was a week old. And Henry didn't like that. He thought, "Who does this woman think she is? I want to wear the trousers in this house." And he argued and fought with her, got his way. And within six months of King James being born, his father has died. His father got syphilis. His father was strangled. His father was blown up in a home, which would also be reminiscence of the Gunpowder Plot, which would take place many years later. The mother. Of King James, Mary Queen of Scots, was banished to a Scottish jail and later to an English jail. The devil is no fool. If you are saved, if you are doing something for the Lord, he will do what he can to destroy you. He tried to destroy King James before he was born and failed. He tried to destroy Moses before he was born and failed. He tried to destroy Jesus before he was born and failed. So he now switches his attention to the parents of King James, Moses... And also Jesus. And there's so much more that I could say. When it comes to trying to understand. Satan's desire to thwart. The directive. Not permissive. But directive will of God. So we will hold it there. And next week. Return to this fascinating chapter. Profiling uh, Moses. Profiling a young boy. A boy that has come of age. And we won't uh, for one minute. Overlook the role of the devil. We know that he's everywhere. Also, you've got the uh, clear inference to women being responsible for the upkeep of their children. In fact, just this week, news broke that the Prime Minister of New Zealand is pregnant, her first child with her partner, not married. And this has gone all over the world, and people are saying this is wonderful news. We've got a female Prime Minister in New Zealand about to have a child. And she said, don't worry, within six weeks, I will go back to work. And people are saying, this is wonderful news. And yet, here's the question, number one, who's going to raise her children? Number two, what will happen if the PM is dealing with a catastrophe and the child is sick? And number three, the child will want its mother when things start to go wrong. You can't have it all if you are a woman. It's almost impossible to have a career and children. But the woman, the nurse, has been paid to take care Of Moses, and of course, that would be Moses's biological mother. Almighty God is very much uh, in the background, making this all come together. Moses has gone on to murder an Egyptian. He knows he's in the wrong, he's disappeared, he's on the run, and as a result, he can't really go back until the Lord sends him back. So, we will close it there, and I'll come back next week and, Lord willing, add much more material to. Exodus chapter 2. In fact, just two final thoughts to share with you all before we sign out for uh, this Lord's Day service. Moses wasn't named Moses uh, by his parents, Jochebed and uh, Amram, but he was named Moses by his new adopted mother, found very clearly from verse 10. And also the devil would uh, put doubts into the minds of those living around the time of the birth of King James, and he would suggest that Henry, King Henry of Scotland, and he was the King of Scotland, wasn't the father of King James. And Mary would strenuously deny such a slur, and that, of course, is also reminiscent, like I say, to the lie, the slur concerning the illegitimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the devil is called a liar and also a murderer. So we will discuss more of this in the coming weeks. Looking at the similarities between Jesus, Moses and James. And I'll leave it there. And God willing, pick it up next week from Exodus chapter 2. So this is part 2 to Exodus chapter 2. And before we get into the subject in hand, just want to spend a few moments just clarifying a couple of points. Number one, the midwives found in chapter one referred to as Hebrew midwives from verse 15 being Shipra and Puah, were probably Jewish midwives. And you can be sure of this, that there were more than just two midwives around this time. The children of Israel are in the thousands, around a million strong. They've been in Egypt for 400 years And what's probably happened is you've got two leading midwives, two leading Jewish midwives up in years. And they are mentioned from verse 15. But it's fair to say there are probably Egyptian midwives which have been embedded or seconded uh, to work alongside these uh, Jewish midwives. And from verse uh, 21, it speaks about the Lord giving them houses which, like I said last time, could be in reference to Genesis chapter 20, the wombs being uh, sealed up, but it could also be in reference to the fact that these women were very poor and were on poverty streets, and the Lord wanted to give them places to reside in. So I just wanted to clarify that, just for the record. I know sometimes these points get sometimes overlooked. These are live broadcasts, and sometimes you are carving a lot of ground in a limited period of time and mistakes can be made. So for the record, Jewish uh, midwives looking after Jewish women, but assisted by Egyptian midwives. Going back to what I said last Sunday, how it's possible that the Jewish women that were giving birth to Jewish children were witnessing indirectly to the Egyptian midwives, but the Lord has chosen two The Jewish women from verse 15, Shipra and Puar again to uh, put them down in scripture to show you that they were remarkable women. Two one speaks about a man from the house of Levi marrying a woman from the house of Levi. It was always the Lord's will for Jews to marry inside of their own tribes, not to jump around from tribe to tribe. For today, we would suggest this, that it's always been the Lord's will for saved people To marry saved people. That doesn't mean that you'll have a happy marriage. But it does mean you can speak about spiritual things. With your Christian husband or your Christian wife. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 14. I want to read it again. It speaks about uh, Moses. He's just murdered a man. And you may say it's manslaughter. Well, that's up to you. But I'll stick with my initial uh, diagnosis. My initial uh, view. My initial... uh, interpretation that it was murder and it speaks oh it says in verse 14 who made thee a prince and a judge over us intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the egyptian and moses feared and said surely this thing is known word has got out so straight away moses as a jew has tried to reveal himself to his own people and i gave the text from john chapter one last week how jesus christ came unto his own And his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Believe in him, believe on him. So you see straight away the similarities between Moses and Jesus. Moses is a king, if you will. Jesus Christ is certainly a king. Go to uh, 1 Samuel. There's also another reference here concerning uh, David wanting to get uh, recognition 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, an interesting piece of scripture, looking at King David, who was around 40 when he came of age, and I made the case last week that there are three stages to the life of Moses, 40, 80, and around 120, and I'll come back and discuss that in a few moments. 1 Samuel 25. Uh, 1 Samuel 25, look at verse 4, please. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Meaning, greet him with my authority. Going back to the authority of Christ to be saved. Going back to the authority of Moses to lead the children of Israel. 6. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity. Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And the narrative goes on, and Nabal says, who is this David? Many men have broken away from their masters. I don't know who this man is, and of course he knew who David was. He was the son of the king, and Pharaoh knew who uh, Jehovah was. He was the one true God. Go to Acts chapter 7. So when it speaks about being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it means with the authority of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 7 picks up on the ministry of Moses. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Look, if you will please, at verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And was mighty in words and in deeds. So he was a remarkable man. A very bright man. And when he was full, 40 years old. It came into his heart to visit his brethren. The children of Israel. Exodus chapter 2. So he's around the same age as David would be. And they say life begins at 40. And he's around the same age as Solomon would be. When things started to move as they say. Verse 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong. He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. You could suggest that there was such a thing as a just war. Many churches today, many Christian groups today, don't like the idea of a just war or a just conflict. They are very much against any type of death. But here, the writer of Acts of the Apostles, being Dr. Luke, speaks about Moses defending somebody who had been wronged. And it goes on to say in verse 25... For he supposed, being Moses, his brethren would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them. But they understood not. Going back to the Lord Jesus Christ, he would clash with the Jewish elite time after time. They'd been ruined by being in Babylonia and were very much into the Talmud, which pretty much destroyed their real faith in the Old Testament. 26. And the next day he showed himself unto them as a strove and would have set them at to one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? Like blood is thicker than water. But he that did his neighbor wrong, thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? We have no king, but Caesar. We shan't have this man to reign over us. This man is born in fornication, a salacious and salacious and wicked slur against the Savior. The same would be true concerning King James. Word went around like an hour after James was born that uh, Henry wasn't his father, that his father was a servant, an associate of Mary, the Queen of Scots. And of course that was a lie she would strenuously deny such a slur and poor old James would be growing up. Well that insinuation, continuing to do the rounds, and it was King Henry the Seventh, I think, who would tease and mock King James about the... Insinuation that Henry wasn't his real father. And here it's the same kind of thing. Who do you think you are, Moses? You've been raised in a very comfortable middle class environment. You have been put to the best private schools. Your adopted mother was the daughter of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. 28, will thou kill me? Will you kill me? Will you murder me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian. Or here it says, Madian, where he begat two sons. Go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. So whether it's murder or manslaughter, take your pick. Moses is on the run. And from Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks about Moses from verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So his parents are held up as being remarkable. 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not Fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. It's very interesting when you read the word of God very carefully what you're not told. You're told very clearly from Exodus chapter 2, written by Moses, in case you didn't know, around 1500 years BC, that he spotted this incident weighed up the pros and cons, he looked left and right, and when he realised nobody was watching him, he pounced, he murdered a man, he killed a man, he fled for the hills, he didn't come clean, he didn't hand himself over to Pharaoh, and here the writer of Hebrews, quite likely the Apostle Paul, doesn't mention about Moses killing a man, or being guilty of murder, and this is done to show very clearly that once a person is saved, they are under the blood of Christ, And the Lord doesn't see them in the light or their true light. Go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. The word of God has a lot to say about pretty much everything. Uh, Most people don't read their Bibles very much anymore. And that's why they get so easily offended. Uh, Genesis chapter 9. Look at verse uh, 6 please. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So, you were told very clearly before the law, and during the law, go to Exodus chapter 2, that if you kill somebody, it could be murder, it could be manslaughter, punishment, and the punishment has to fit the crime, should always follow. And here, Moses, like I say one more time and I move on, has killed a man, and hasn't come clean, and off he goes. So, chapter 2 begins with the birth of a boy, And for the first ten verses, there's no mention of this boy's name. Pharaoh's daughter will christen him, if you will, with the name of Moses. But what's fascinating to me when I read through the Bible, especially the first two, three, four, five books of the Bible, is how the Lord deals with different situations. If you go to, in fact, keep your hand in Exodus chapter 2, and go to Exodus uh, chapter 4 very interesting passage here which is worth just very quickly commenting on i look at verse 24 and it came to pass by the way in the inn that the lord met him and sought to kill him because he killed the egyptian right absolutely no absolutely not 25 then support took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of a son and cast it at his feet and said surely a bloody husband art thou to me Almighty God was about to kill Moses, not because he had killed the Egyptian. Genesis chapter 9, which, as I say, should have resulted in the death of Moses, like David and Bathsheba, should have resulted in their death. But again, the Lord would overlook it. But here it speaks about the Lord meeting him and wanting to kill him. Zipporah, the wife of Moses takes a sharp stone, 25, and cuts off the foreskin of her son. They got at least two sons, and cast it at his feet, and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. 26. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art, because of the circumcision. So the Lord was more interested, and took the lack of circumcision more seriously than a murder. Of the Egyptian which if you think about Noah's flood where millions were wiped out or Sodom and Gomorrah where millions were wiped out or the book of Revelation where billions are going to be wiped out you understand what is of real importance to the Lord he was more interested in Moses circumcising one of his two sons than he was concerning the death of this Egyptian. One more passage, and we'll get to chapter 2. Go to Exodus uh, chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, and cast your eye, if you will please, over verse 3. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Almighty God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And the main sin, if you didn't know, found in both testaments is idolatry. He will put up with a lot of things like murder concerning Moses, adultery concerning David, blasphemy and fornication and other sorts of sins of the flesh. But when it comes to false worship, carnal worship, empty worship, he won't wear it. He won't uh, put up with it, and that's why it's so uh, important for those of us which are saved to understand that God's ways are not our ways, and many times our ways are not his ways. In fact, it says from Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, And my thoughts than your thoughts. So with all that said. Let's get to Exodus chapter 2. And let's aim God willing to finish this chapter. Which is very parental. Like very much focused on the family. You read about a boy being born. You read about the parents of that boy. Putting their child into a basket. The Moses basket. And sent down the stream. Because the Lord wanted, uh, first of all, to save Moses. Because Moses was going to be one of many deliverers for the children of Israel. He's been found by the daughter of Pharaoh, who was childless. And Almighty God has, op- has uh, obviously opened her heart to find Moses, to love Moses, and to name him. And last week, we finished in verse 16, and I'll read it again. Now the priest of Midian... Had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Seven unmarried daughters. One would be enough, two would be a headache, three would be grief. And here he's got seven unmarried daughters. He's the priest of Midian, and we will profile him later. Look at 17. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So Moses is the good shepherd, if you will. Jesus Christ, John chapter 10, is the good shepherd. And like everything in scripture, if you don't realize, there are many types and shadows. And I will say this, that Moses, like Jesus, is the good shepherd. You can't really get around that. Moses is a Jew who is going to marry a Gentile. Jesus is a Jew who's going to marry the church. Ruel, also called Jethro... Is a type of the Holy Ghost. He will put Moses and Zipporah together. And of course the Holy Ghost puts the Gentile. And the church together. But 17 again speaks about. How the shepherds came and drove them away. And I would suggest this. That they picture the wicked shepherds. Being the Pharisees. Being the Sadducees. Being the Sanhedrin from the Gospels. And it was their uh, purpose to stop. The Jews come into faith in a one true God. And therefore Jesus Christ is a good shepherd dealing with the bad shepherds, which for the New Testament would be the wicked and apostate unbelieving Jews. Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So Moses is clearly a type of Jesus. Moses is the good shepherd. Also found from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. John chapter 10, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And Jesus Christ came to lay his life down for the sheep, uh, John chapter 10. And here Moses is going to be also a deliverer, a saviour, if you will. 18. And when they came to Ruel, uh, Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? How is it possible that you've all uh, arrived home so quickly? You're normally gone for three to four hours and by some amazing events, you are home within half of that time, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock, father, we have wonderful news for you, this Egyptian, they thought Moses was an Egyptian, which yes he was, he'd been raised in Egypt, but he was a Jew, and he had been agonizing over how to live, over what to do, and if you think of Uh, Romans one and two, it speaks about the law of the Lord written on man's hearts, and the Book of Genesis makes that very clear, which simply means this: that we don't need the Bible to know right from wrong. We have a conscience. We have the law of God written on our hearts. Of course, if you want to grow in grace, we need the Word of God. But strictly speaking, we don't need the Bible to know right from wrong, and that's found time after time in the old testament and here 19 again an egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds jesus christ has saved us from the hand of wicked shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock like the woman at the well i will give you uh, water that will spring up into everlasting uh, habitations i am the Water of life, the bread of life, if you, ever, you know whoever thirsts or hungers and comes to me will never thirst, will never hunger. And here Moses has stepped into this situation and put it right. twenty. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left a man? Call him, that he may eat bread. So Ruel, also referred to as Jethro, and the term that Moses will use uh, several times, will be The father-in-law of Moses wants to meet this brave man, this bold man. He's rescued uh, his seven daughters. He's dealt with the bad shepherds. Going back to Jesus, dealing with the bad shepherds, the Jewish elite. He's been rejected by his own people. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus Christ would be rejected by his own people. But again, to as many as received him, thus you and I, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And here... Ruel, also referred to as Jethro, wants to meet Moses. He knows that what Moses has done is pretty outstanding. One man has taken perhaps three men down. If you think of a typical uh, duel, a typical fight, you might think one man could take another man down. One man may perhaps be able to take two men down, just about, but he couldn't take three men down. And yet Moses has stepped forward, and you may suggest is trying to redeem himself. If you think of Peter with the sword, back in uh, Gethsemane, he wants to uh, kill Malchus. And the Lord steps in and stops that from taking place. Because had he not done that, the ministry of Peter would have ended before it had even begun. But with Moses, the Lord wouldn't step in. He would allow Moses to murder a man. And here Moses has done the right thing. And it speaks about, uh, call him. That he may eat bread. That he may dine with us tonight. Which is how John 21 finishes. Come and dine with me. Jesus Christ speaking to the apostles. Look at 21 please. And Moses was content. To dwell with a man. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. So we are to assume. That Moses and Zipporah have clicked. We are to assume. That they are both in love. Around this time Moses is, like I say, 40 years of age, and we are to assume that Zipporah is similar in age to Moses, she may be younger. Jewish women, in fact women in general, uh, up until the time of Jesus, would marry very young. It's only today that women are marrying much later, and having children much later, feeding into what I said last week about the New Zealand Prime Minister about to give birth, and she's been tweeting all week how happy she is, and I I wish her well. I'm not going to condemn her. But here's the thing. Who's going to raise her child? It won't be her. If she's working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, it's going to fall to some unsafe party or some third party, I should say. A third party. And that third party will have to raise her child. She has a partner. She's not married. And yet I remember reading about when uh, Prince William and Prince Harry were without mother. In fact, even before they lost their mother, they had an au pair who was hired by their parents to raise them. And they got very close to this au pair. Her name was Tiggy something. And she got very close to them. And she said that they were her babies. And if the truth be known, she was their real mother. Because Diana was very busy flying around the world. And Charles was very busy flying around the world. If you think of the Queen's children and Prince Philip's children for... The first 25 years of their time at the palace, they were travelling the globe. They had three, make that four, children. And they too had nannies. They too had au pairs. And their children grew up very rarely seeing their parents. In fact, if you read Billy Graham's autobiography, he says the greatest regret that he ever had, and he's around 98 now, 99, was that he was never around uh, to see his children grow up. And he left his wife, Ruth, With the responsibility of raising their children. But that was Billy's choice. Nobody forced Billy to fly around the world. Meeting world leaders. And he did. Meeting popes. And he did. uh, Giving crusades to millions of people. And he did. In fact before Sammy Davis Jr died. He said the greatest regrets of his life. Was that he spent far too much time. With the Rat Pack. He 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 spent far too much time in Las Vegas. Hanging around with his friends and foes. So and so forth. And his children suffered. So if you are a parent, if you've been blessed to be a parent, if you have children, count your blessings and make sure that you are responsible or make sure that you are going to raise your own children. We had a couple in the UK, a couple of uh, Labour politicians, very powerful politicians, a guy called Bulls and a woman called Cooper, both unmarried, and they had children, I think two or three children. And maybe five or six years ago, maybe that like ten years ago or thereabouts, they were both serving in the Blair government. Very powerful people. And this couple, unmarried with children, were working 15, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I thought at the time, well, first of all, neither were married. And they're still not married. But putting that aside, I thought what was really sad was the fact that they have children... And yet are never at home. And of course you know that either their elderly parents are raising their children for them while they enjoy their careers. Or they've got au pairs or nannies. Like the Prime Minister of New Zealand. But here we're looking at Zipporah 21 being introduced to Moses. And we are to assume that Moses and Zipporah have clicked, like I say, are in love. And a marriage is about to take place. Not very long ago, when a man met a woman, he would, they would court and he would ask her father's permission to marry his daughter. That doesn't seem to be uh, a popular custom anymore. Most people in Britain don't get married. They just live together or have multiple relationships. But back in the day, it was thought to be respectful, and it was respectful. You would go to the woman's father and say, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? So we could say a couple of things. We could say number one that these two have fallen in love. If you think of uh, Cecil D. DeMille's uh, movie, Cecil D. DeMille's uh, movie, The Ten Commandments, and there are some accurate parts to that movie. Incidentally, they're not all. The film isn't completely wrong. There are some uh, good parts to that movie. He has Charlton Heston playing Moses, and Moses meets Zipporah in the movie, and they both fall in love. That could be true. That may have been how it was in real life, or it could just be that uh, Ruel, 18, has literally given his daughter over to Moses. It is fair to say that throughout the Old Testament, many times the women didn't have a lot of uh, responsibilities or didn't have any real authority. They came under their uh, father's covering, and when they got married, they came under their husband's covering. So I will suggest this. I will suggest that Moses and Zipporah are in love, and the father of zipporah has allowed moses to marry her we could suggest the opposite to that we could go the other route and say no she didn't love him it was a false marriage but that doesn't quite fit when i think of jesus loving the church dying for the church and when i think of king james growing up meeting anne of denmark loving her and marrying her look at verse 22 please and she bare him a son and he called his name gershom for he said I've been a stranger in a strange land. So he would have thought a number of things. He would have thought, well, first of all, I've killed a man. And I know that Genesis chapter 9 speaks about losing my life. If you shed blood, you should have your own blood shed. But the Lord has overlooked it. The Lord wouldn't call on Moses to repent, to confess, to hand himself over, like David and Bathsheba and other greats in the Old Testament. And it's always fascinating, if you read the scriptures, to see the good and the great when they get into uh, scrapes and situations, how the Lord deals with them. But now Moses has become a father, and he calls his firstborn Gershom, a bit like Gershwin, for he said, I've been a stranger in a strange land. I am a Jew among Gentiles. I couldn't have thought my life would go this way. I could have remained in Egypt. I could have been the next Pharaoh. I could have been Ramesses III. Because Rameses II didn't have a son. The daughter of Pharaoh didn't have any children. But I, I gave you the text from Hebrews 11. How Moses didn't want to be a part of the world system. But he wanted to suffer affliction. He didn't want to be a part of the world system. Which of course is a timeless message. 23. And it came to pass in process of time. That the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Very reminiscent of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2, out of Egypt, have I called my son. It speaks about the Lord appearing to Joseph in a dream. And he says to Joseph, take uh, the boy, take Jesus and his mother, and go back into Israel for those that sought uh, his life are dead now of course Herod the Great was the worst out of the three Herods found in the New Testament and when Herod the Great died the uh, way was opened for the Lord to go back into Israel with Joseph and with Mary and here's the same kind of thing process of time king emperor Pharaoh of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage When Jesus Christ came, there was great uh, suffering, if you will. Not on the same level as Moses would have grown up witnessing. But the Jews were under Roman occupation. They were slaves or subjects to Rome. They were given a puppet leader like Herod. They despised him. They despised Caesar. And yet they would sell Christ out for Caesar. Going back to, we have no king but Caesar... And there were some uh, in the time of Jesus Christ, like Simeon, like Anna, that were crying uh, due to the bondage, spiritual bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up under God by reason of the bondage. So here, this is literal bondage. This is literal slavery. These poor people were being worked to death. Women were being forced to miscarry. In fact, during the early uh, years of King James, his mother was put in a Scottish jail before she was put in a Scottish jail, she was raped by her third husband. And five months into her pregnancy, she miscarried. She miscarried. She had two twins that were never born. And those twins are in heaven today. And like all innocents that die pre the age of accountability, they go straight to heaven Mm. because they are innocents. And Christ has covered their sin in the sense of Adam's sin. But here, a lot of material from 23 concerning physical bondage in the time of Moses concerning spiritual bondage in the time of Jesus and today concerning those of us which are saved Uh, and it speaks about such from Matthew chapter 5 those that long after righteousness how one day we will see God 24 and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenants with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob so it could be that Jacob and his 12 sons were saved. And I'm still working through Genesis looking at Jacob's sons. And if the 24 elders from Revelation chapter 4 uh, is concerning the 12 sons of Jacob, then obviously they are saved. And if the other 12 are in reference to the apostles, then obviously they are saved as well. But here, they're groaning, uh, 24, their bondage, verse 23, has come. Before the throne of God. It speaks over in Acts chapter 10. About Cornelius who was praying. And he was praying. And you were told to pray without ceasing. And his prayer. Made it to heaven. The Lord uh, sent Peter. To witness to Cornelius. And as Peter was witnessing to Cornelius. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Cornelius got saved. And here's the same kind of thing. God almighty God. The one true God father son and spirit heard their groaning and god remembered His covenant like he would do with noah but this covenant is with abraham isaac and jacob concerning the land of course and god looked upon the children of israel and god had respect unto them Hebrews says that almighty god will never leave you nor forsake you if you are saved you are forever saved and if you are A part of the new covenant. That covenant is a timeless covenant. And I will speak about the covenants. As we work our way uh, over the next several months. By the grace of God. We've been able to finish uh, chapter 2 today. We've got 38 chapters uh, still to go. A lot of history. But what you've seen today. Is Moses. The birth of Moses. uh, Moses being a murderer. Moses getting married. And most people would have thought that his life was over, but it was just beginning. I will say this because I have to say this, that the Lord didn't condone of what Moses would do concerning the execution, if you will, of an Egyptian pagan. But the Lord allowed it to happen, going back to the Lord's permissive will, in order to toughen Moses up. There'll be times down the line for Moses where he will buckle, he will struggle, he'll want to just roll up and die curl up and die like Joshua would do in fact even David on one occasion thought he was about to be uh, stoned and wanted to just die the same would be true of Jonah as well and the Lord says no I've still got work for you but what you've seen over the last four Sundays is the creation of a nation something which was probably unheard of something which nobody really thought would happen it says over in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that the Lord would choose him Uh, an obscure people, the least of all the nations, to become the greatest of all nations. And one day they will be the greatest of all nations. At the moment, Israel is very dependent on the Gentiles. But one day, Israel is going to be completely dependent on God, and Almighty God will bless such people abundantly. You have seen from verse 10 how a Gentile adopts a Jewish boy a type of the church adopting Jesus. And it's also fascinating to me that uh, the parents of uh, Moses, Amram and Jochebed or Jochebed, if they did name him, we're not told that it would fall to the daughter of Pharaoh to name him. If you think of the New Testament, in fact, it says over in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ has a name that only the church are aware of. For here and now, we call him Jesus, we call him Emmanuel, we call him Christ, we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we call him the Son of God, the Son of Man, but he has a name which is only known to those of us which are saved. Chapter 1, chapter 2 is very maternal and very paternal, it's a very family-orientated part of the book so far, going back to women giving birth to children, women being responsible for the upbringing of their children not paying un or nominated uh, people like third parties to raise such children almighty god doesn't destroy moses for dealing with this pagan egyptian but he takes a bad thing and turns it into a good thing going back to what joseph would say how you meant it for uh, you meant it for evil you meant it for evil but god meant it for good and this will be the, uh, the uh, moulding of Moses. So chapter 2, as I say, starts with the birth of a boy. The boy grows up. He's a murderer. He gets married. He's now a father. He's got responsibilities. And the first thing that he did not do uh, was to circumcise one of his sons. And the law says, if you don't do it, Moses, I'm going to kill you. Going back to, you worship me in spirits and in truth. I'll overlook the murder of that pagan. I'll overlook David and Bathsheba. I'll overlook Solomon and the concubines. I'll overlook Abraham and the concubines. I'll overlook this. I'll overlook that. But I will not overlook the breach of the Abrahamic covenants. And I won't take worship from anyone if it's not real. And that's what Malachi is all about. The Lord hating false worship like the Pharisees going around, standing on street corners, fasting or giving the impression of fasting very self-righteous and Jesus would say they have had their reward and that's why it's so important after you are saved to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth to keep yourself humble to examine yourself on a regular basis you'll never find a sinless perfection you will fall short but if you take these verses seriously and if you realize that the Lord was prepared to cut down Moses not for the murder one more time, but for not circumcising a son, and if you go to that passage from Isaiah 55, then you understand within five seconds, that your ways are not his ways, And unfortunately, many times his ways are not our ways either. And Moses learnt a very severe lesson. His wife knew exactly what was going on. It may be that she had said to Moses that the boy needed to be circumcised, and Moses was indifferent. Moses was lazy. Perhaps Moses was a backslider. And that's why Zipporah, just like that, jumped in, did the circumcision, and threw the foreskin at the feet of Moses and said, You are a bloody man to me. This is all your fault, Moses. Or had you done this straight away, this wouldn't have been uh, necessary for the Lord to almost kill you. And I'll say this in close, that for the Jews, for Orthodox Jews, and for Muslims, for Orthodox Muslims, when you speak about Moses... To such groups they revere such a man, and that's fair enough. But the Muslims especially believe that men such as Moses was sinless, and he certainly was not. And it's very difficult for a Muslim to hear someone like myself profile uh, Moses in such a way. And it would be very uh, difficult for an Orthodox Jew to hear a Gentile like myself profile Moses in such a way. As far as we are concerned, the body of Christ, it makes no difference to us how the good and the great lived uh, back in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament. We're not trusting in such men for our salvation. We can learn from their mistakes and that's why their mistakes are written in scripture. We are trusting in a sinless man, the man Christ Jesus, unlike Muhammad, unlike Moses, who had many flaws. So we'll close it there and God willing next week return to Exodus chapter 3. And So just to finally underscore one last time the importance of Ruel who will introduce the church to Christ and Christ to the church. Ruel also called Jethro is a type of the Holy Ghost and Jethro uh, Ruel will introduce Moses a Jew to Zipporah a Gentile much like the Holy Ghost will introduce the Church to Christ and introduce Christ to the Church. Many types and shadows in the Old Testament, and we've got many more weeks to drill deeper into this wonderful book, the Book of Exodus.